This is Roof English Radio with Darinata, daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof. Hello, this is Roof English Radio. I'm Darren Adam. Thanks very much for your company. The later part of our programme today is going to be what you might call scheduled programming. I'm going to be speaking to Leslie Meyer, who is a knitter, and she knits Icelandic jumpers and makes Icelandic knitwear in Seattle on the west coast of the USA. And uh, Leslie got in touch with me a couple of weeks ago because she'd seen someone on the TV here in Iceland on Roof who was wearing a sweater that she really liked. And she got in touch with me here at Roof English to see if I knew who the designer was or could help out. I, I wasn't able to, but happily, within about an hour, she had realised or managed to find that this was a commercially available pattern anyway. But then I was intrigued by the idea of speaking to Leslie, who, as I say, is on the west coast of the USA and uses Icelandic wool or yarn to make Icelandic garments. So that conversation with her coming up in just a few moments' time. But first, as we are still very much focusing on what is happening in and around Grindavik, I thought we would start once again just by running through the latest events of the day in the last couple of days. And the news appears to be, firstly, that this eruption, if it is not over yet, when you hear this conversation, it is as good as over. Now, Kristin Jonsdotter, geophysicist and uh, who works at the Icelandic Met Office, said to Ruv earlier on today, Tuesday, that normally the pattern, the plan is for experts to give themselves a little time after an eruption ends just to make sure before declaring that the eruption is completely finished. She says it's most likely over. There's not been any activity from that northern fissure, the bigger one, the one that went off at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, since around 1 o'clock on this morning. That would be Tuesday morning. The, the smaller and more damaging southern fissure, of course, appeared to expire yesterday. So if that's the case, then we're looking at a very, very short eruption indeed, shorter even than the eruption that took place on the 18th of December and ran for, what was that, three and a half days, something like that? This one will be measured in, in hours, really, 48 hours, something like that, if this eruption is definitely over. Of course, it's still very dangerous to be in Grindavik. The land is still cracking and subsiding, so no immediate return to the town, certainly. Christian Jonsdotter from the Icelandic Met Office also says that another magma intrusion is probably needed for an eruption to start. Magma is still flowing and the land is still rising at Svartsengi, which of course is the area around the power station of that name and also the Blue Lagoon a couple of kilometres to the north of the town of Grindavik. She says, while that is going on, we're in the same position that we could have another magma intrusion into this corridor. Hot water is back in at least the west of Grindavik. The hot water pipes connecting Again, Svartsengi, not just a power station, but the source of that hot water for the peninsula. The water pipes connecting Svartsengi to Grindavik had been buried under the lava. They buckled under that flow of lava. However, there is work that's been going underway for some time to lay a new pipeline to Grindavik, and that project was well advanced when the eruption began. I think, if I'm understanding this correctly, that has played some part in the restoration of hot water to at least the west of the town. It's rather more difficult at the moment because of the distribution system to get water into the east of the town. But I'm sure that work is is underway, of course. There's a residence meeting taking place at five o'clock on Tuesday. So this conversation should be published around about, around about half past four. It'll take place on the same afternoon as you hear this. It's uh, taking place at five o'clock on Tuesday in Lloydershut in Reykjavik. The 
Mayor of Grindavik is Fana Johansson. He will be chairing the meeting. He will give a speech, but also some very significant names will be there as well. Katrin Jakob's daughter, the Prime Minister, will be there. Uh, Christine Jon's daughter that we just mentioned from the Icelandic Met Office, Ulvar Lutvikson, who's the police chief in the south of Iceland. And from civil defence, Ingeborg Lilia Oman's daughter, uh, who also manages the service centre for Grindavik residents, the drop-in centre at the Customs House in Reykjavik. As well as that, you've got Thordis Kolber and Reykfjörth Gilfadotir, who's the Minister of Finance and Economy, Sigurdur Ingi Johansson, Minister of Infrastructure, Magnus Tumi Guthmundsson, Professor of Geophysics at the University of Iceland, from Iceland's Natural Disaster Insurance Agency, Hulda Reignheder Arnadotir, also the project manager for the construction of those amazing defensive walls that have been built around the town of Grindavik and also around Svartsengi in the Blue Lagoon, that's Ali Guthmundsson. The head of the uh, relevant department at Civil Defence is Solberg S. Bjarnason and from H.S. Vetur, one of the utility agencies, Paul Erland. So a lot of people on the panel there, if you will, uh, for that residence meeting that's taking place on Tuesday afternoon. And so many Grindavik residents will have so many questions, maybe not about when it's safe to return to the town, although I'm sure that will come up, but about what happens to their property if it's not safe to return or if they quite reasonably don't want to return. Because I think a lot of people in Grindavik are, are now thinking, well, if this is going to keep happening, if we're in a sort of pattern where these eruptions take place frequently, even if they only last for a couple of days. We've seen how damaging they can be. Three houses destroyed by the lava that emerged from that southern fissure in Grindavik in the last couple of days. If that's going to happen, what, every month, every three weeks? I mean, leaving aside the safety issue, the sheer inconvenience, the sheer upheaval of having to leave and return every few weeks is, is probably going to make some people not want to return to the town at all. Speaking earlier, and speaking of the mayor of Grindavik, Fana. Uh, Jonasson that we mentioned a few moments ago. He said that the meeting between the town council and the government was very good. He says, I think that both we and the government, the ministers, were better informed than before about the situation. Now we're going to work together to improve the interests of Grindavik residents in the short and long term. So maybe not a smile on the face, but there is certainly some satisfaction there on the part of the mayor of Grindavik. What else can we tell you? Grindavik residents who live in some of the houses in the town are being asked to bring keys to their homes, either to the resident service centre or to the fire brigade in South Iceland, or indeed to that meeting taking place at five o'clock on Tuesday afternoon that we mentioned, so that plumbers who are being hired by civil defence can inspect the houses and inspect the heating systems of those homes. Um, 24 sheep were rescued from the town. Greta Jonsson was allowed to move his sheep out of Grindavik to safety uh, in the southern part of Iceland at Ulfus. Uh, it took a lot of effort, though, he said. He was repelled by uh, rescue teams when he first arrived at the town. He went to the police station. He was given permission to move his sheep. And that's where we are at the moment. It looks as if this eruption is over, but we can't be certain. I'm sitting here at 20 past two on Tuesday afternoon. And there's every possibility that another fissure will open up or another eruption will take place. And the, the pattern that's been established since the beginning of December, we've only had two eruptions, but they've happened in a way that experts seem to think might be typical of where we are going forward. So probably not the last time, I'm fairly certain it's not the last time we'll be talking about eruptions in the Reykjanes Peninsula, but as things stand, 
this current eruption, although the Met Office are absolutely not definitively declaring it over, they think it is likely to be over at the moment. Coverage, of course, of all of this on ruv.is slash English. We have a live blog that's been running during the, the period of this emergency, the period of this eruption. Uh, that may pause until and unless there is another eruption, but all that information is archived there, and I hope you find it useful. Okay, let's return to what we are calling our scheduled programming for today. Leslie Meyer, to whom I spoke just a couple of days ago on Zoom. She is in Seattle. She knits. She works in a yarn shop in the city. She sells and works with a Icelandic yarn, an Icelandic wool that we're going to hear about. She got in touch with me because she'd seen someone on Roof TV saying, what's that jumper that man's wearing? I like it very much. And then she found out it's a commercially available pattern. But we decided to have a conversation anyway, because I was intrigued about Leslie making these jumpers on the west coast of the USA. She told me about her love of Icelandic wool, her interest in Iceland, and her and what brought her to, to start knitting with Icelandic wool, where she is. Well, I have been a knitter um, on and off since I was about 10 years old. And about 10 years ago, I went to an event called Vogue Knitting Live. It's one of the big conferences that they have around the country. Mm -hmm. And it came to Seattle. And one of the instructors was a friend of a friend named Raga Eriksdotter. And she's Icelandic. And she is a knitting pattern designer and knitter. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's absolutely fantastic. So I took a class from her on making little tiny lopa pesa, um, just like the size of an ornament. And a lopa pesa is a sweater mm -hmm. and a traditional Icelandic pattern. And I was hooked. So uh, later on that year, I knit a my first sweater, Icelandic sweater, using Icelandic wool. And I loved how it turned out. It's red with a multicolored pattern across the top. The pattern was designed by Vierdis Jonsdotter. And if I get the name wrong, I'm so sorry. Uh, and it's called After, A-F-T-U-R. And mm. it's one that she designed for Istex years ago. And it's now, also Istex available. is... Oh, Istex is the uh, major yarn company in Iceland that creates the traditional style Icelandic yarns, and they come in various weights. Uh, the sweater weight for, for most sweaters is called uh, let lopi, which means light wool, basically light yarn. And it's for knitters, it's a DK or worsted weight, which is average, you know, about, you know, four to five stitches per inch making a sweater. Why is it so good at repelling water. That seems to be one of the principal qualities that Icelandic wool has. I read it was something to do with the oil. It has, they retain a lot of lanolin, which is the natural oils from the sheep. So the, la com the lanolin combined with the structure of the fiber makes it really good for repelling water and all wool from sheep when it gets wet will still keep you warm, unlike acrylics or cottons or other fibers. Um, wool has insulating properties that other fibers don't have. So if you're out walking in the snow and you've got wool socks on and your feet get a little damp, mm. uh, they will stay warmer than in any other fabric. 
So when you saw the video or the photo of a prominent Icelandic figure of some kind a couple of weeks ago wearing what you thought was an Icelandic sweater design, what was it about the design that you liked? Because I think we we eventually worked out that it was a commercially available pattern, wasn't it? A commercially available jumper, at least in the USA. But what was it about the pattern or the, the jumper that caught your attention? It looked to me like a traditional Icelandic sweater knit probably with a uh you know, uh, the lightweight einband, which is like a lace weight Icelandic wool and held with either mohair or alpaca to make it a bit softer and also gave a really nice mottled texture on the sweater. And I assumed that it was an Icelandic pattern. So I emailed you asking if you knew anything about the designer. And then we found out that it was not but um, I'm so glad that you reached out and asked me about uh, talking about Icelandic wool and knitting because it's one of my passions. You obviously enjoy working with Icelandic wool. I love it. It's it. The patterns come out very crisp. Mm -hmm. The yarns, there's like, I think around 42 different colors of Letlopi, this style of yarn. And they work great for color work, for making you know, high contrast sweaters so that the patterns stay very visible. The way the yarn is spun is tight enough so you get good crisp stitches. Is there, and I don't know how much work you do for other people, how much knitting you do for other people, whether it's commercially or whether you gift the work that you make, is there much desire for and interest in Icelandic wool in Seattle? There is. Um, Seattle uh, is a young city. It was founded in the 1860s. But by the 1870s, immigration from Scandinavia and the Nordic countries uh, really came alive. And we have a huge uh, Nordic and Scandinavian population in Seattle. We have, we're a port city, so there's a lot of fishing. Um, back in the 1880s, there was a huge fire. So uh, they needed lots of workers to come and build and rebuild the city. So we had a big influx of, you know, Icelandic, Finns, Danes, Swedes, Norse uh, coming in and settling here. Mm. So there's a community in the area called Ballard. And that's basic. That was the traditional place where people from the Nordic countries in Scandinavia came and settled because it's also right near the docks. So huge population, lots of knitters, lots of traditional knitters. And uh, there are various clubs around Seattle, you know, the Swedish club and the Norse club and, you know, the Icelandic club. I didn't think we'd made it as far as the West Coast of the Oh, yeah. Of the yeah. We have a, you know, I think the Icelandic population in Seattle is around a thousand-ish. Uh, and, you know, they have the Thorblatt Festival every year. Do you take part and, in that? Uh, no, I, I'm... <laughs> a little scared of that wonderful shark dish that they serve. Many Icelanders will maybe nibble at some of the Thoroblot foods. Um, yeah. and we're entering the month of Thori, of course. So it's an acquired taste. I think it's fair yeah. to say for a lot of people. But yeah. But also in Seattle, we have the uh, Nordic National Museum, which is the largest Nordic history museum in the country. Okay. And one of the things that they offer are classes. So they teach every year they have a knitting and needlework festival and they offer classes from all the Nordic and 
Scandinavian countries. So you can learn how to do Icelandic knitting. You can learn how to do Norwegian nalb binding, which is a single needle process. Mm -hmm. And they have instructors come from all over the country and all over the world. So Icelanders have gone to Seattle, but you've come to Iceland a few times, haven't you? I have. My first trip to Iceland was in 2018. And how I got to Iceland is a great story. I was at a knitting store near Seattle and met two women, a woman named Roxana, who lives in the area, and a woman named Agnes, who is from Reykjavik. And we became fast friends. And I asked Agnes one time, I said, would it be possible for me to come and visit you? And she was like, oh, yes, you can come and stay in my yarn room. And I'm like, you have a yarn room. Yarn room. Oh, my gosh. I said, do I just like lay the yarn out on the floor and curl up? And she goes, no, there's a bed. <laughs> so I went to visit her uh, in April of 2018 and we went to every yarn store from you know Akranes down to uh Selfoss mm -hmm. and uh bought all the yarn we could and I've been back several times since and my last trip was a year ago last fall and we drove all the way around Iceland and I think we went to again almost every yarn store in the country <laughs> now I must admit, I, I know next to nothing about knitting. I'm learning a great deal from you today, but it is the case, as you will have spotted, if you are in a supermarket in Iceland, it has a yarn or a wool department. That's not usual in, in many places, is it? No, not in, not in a supermarket. Uh, some of the larger stores, the big chain stores, you can buy uh, in some lower quality yarns that are great for making washable items, uh, you can throw in the washer and the dryer and they're great for, you know, baby blankets and, you know, blankets for your pets or blankets just for on your lap in front of the TV. Um, but you can't get nice quality yarn like like Lopi in the grocery stores here. But you can in Iceland. I mean, it's of, of high. Oh, quality. yeah. 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 Okay. And now you uh, work, don't you, in a yarn store in Seattle. It's called Acorn Street and you carry the Istex. Yes. Uh, a range of, of, see, I'm learning all the time, that range of, of yarn. It is a very popular yarn. And uh, one one of my friends is a knitting designer, um, originally from Seattle, but now in, in Maine. And she's uh, her name is Mary Jane Mucklestone. And once when she was on a stopover in Iceland, she wanted to make a really quick sweater. So she grabbed some large needles and some, you know, let lopi yarn and made a very light and airy uh, sweater, um, a pullover, and uh, she called it Stopover. And she published the pattern and it was a sensation. Okay. And it uh, basically caused a yarn shortage for a couple of the colors of the Let Lopi here in the United States. It was so popular. Goodness. And you know, Istex likes her very much. I can imagine. I wonder, I don't know whether you heard the episode that we recorded about six months ago here on Ruve English Radio in the north of Iceland, near Akureyri. Mm -hmm. There is a family business called Go Husky. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't. Okay, I think you're going to like this story. Now, Go Husky exists for a variety of reasons. You can go out on the sleds during the winter with the dogs. You can walk the dogs. You can just go up and pet them if you want. That service is offered too. They're also, they take part in various shows and win prizes across the country. But 
And here's where I think you might have a, an interest in this. They shed a lot of fur. They're very hairy dogs. You can see where we're going with this. They I shed do. a lot of fur. And Maria and Gunnar, who own the company, have, I think, now 22 or 23 huskies. And they brush and brush and brush and brush these dogs. Gunnar spins the hair, the husky hair, into a kind of husky yarn, and Maria knits from it. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Yes, I have. have? But I'm okay. so excited to hear that this is happening in Iceland. Um, you know, as you said, I work at a yarn store and we frequently have customers come in saying, who can I talk to about spinning my dog's, you know, fur? And okay. who can who can spin my cat's fur? How do we do this? And quite often what they will do here is they will ply it, they will blend it with with a wool so that it grips more because dog hair and cat hair is pretty straight and doesn't have much grab. Um, whereas wool has a lot more grab. Uh, the hairs, the individual hairs are kind of barbed on the sides. So they more, grip, more friction, which is what it, it's, they have scales actually. And okay. So when you wash a 100% wool sweater in hot water and throw it in the dryer, that's why it shrinks because these scales catch on each other and it felts. So you want the yarn to, you want the dog fur or cat fur to be able to cling. So they quite often will ply it with a wool. Okay. I don't well, know I if must, they do that with the huskies. I must put you in touch then with, with yes, that would yeah, be lovely. And Gunnar and uh, who knows, maybe the next time you're in Iceland, you'll be able to, Head up to Akureyri or near Akureyri to to see them. Do you have a trip planned? I'm hoping to go next year. Um, this year, I can't. I I I just can't travel this year. But next year, fingers crossed. Okay, so, well, we'd, we'd um, love to see you back in the country, maybe with some would, of your creations. That would be wonderful. And uh, I do want to give a little shout out to some of my favorite Icelandic designers, which Please. is Bjerdis Jonsdotter. Um, Helene Magnusson, who is an Icelandic designer, and she works with Istex and has a line of yarn. Most popular is a lace weight yarn called Love Story, which is wonderful. Dagbjörn Guthmann's daughter, who's a designer that I made a wonderful shawl. And Raga, Eric's daughter, who is the first teacher I had to learn how to make Icelandic sweaters. One of the things I wanted to say is we're not, Acorn Street is not the only yarn shop in Seattle that carries um, Lope yarns. Uh, there are over 13 shops in the Seattle area. And some of the shops that carry it are Seattle Yarn, Tea Cozy, Nifty Knitter. And uh, I think there's another one that I can't remember it right off the top of my head. But it's a popular yarn then if it's carried by more. It's not a niche product. Is what no, I mean... Any any particular yarn from a particular country kind of falls into a niche, but yeah. so as niches go, uh, I think Icelandic yarn and Shetland are probably the two most popular and the best for doing color work. Fantastic. Leslie, it's been a real treat to talk to you about something about which I know nothing at all. It's been an education for the last few minutes, and I do hope you make it back to Iceland before too long. It sounds like you want to. to, I think. Oh, yes. It's, it's you know, it's feels like a second home, you know. Nothing I like better than walking down the main streets and going into, like, 
eat a zimsum and having coffee and then going get some soup and then buying yarn and then maybe buying some more yarn and maybe buy some more <laughs> yarn. Okay. Well, whenever you buy one we're, when you're here, we look forward very much to to seeing you. We're having a conversation, of course, in Reykjavik. You are in Seattle, but those two cities, it's worth mentioning, are connected in quite a, a fraternal way, aren't they? They are. Um, I think it was 2008. 18, and correct me if I'm wrong, that Seattle and Reykjavik became sister cities. And that's a very important connection because there are so many similarities. They're both port cities. They both have a lot of industry. And as I said earlier, there was a lot of immigration from Iceland to Seattle back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. I can see why you feel at home here. Then. It's one of my favorite places. One of the things that drew me to Iceland was that back in 1940, my dad was with the Marines and he was stationed in Reykjavik. And today would have been his 102nd birthday. And he was in Iceland, in Reykjavik for his 20th birthday. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Leslie right. Meyer joining me from Seattle. It's Roof English Radio. I'm Darren Adam, and you can get in touch with us anytime. Email english at ruv.is. There is more from Roof English with all the news from Iceland in English at ruv.is slash English. Roof English Radio is a daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof.